Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, July 22nd, 2018, on the basis of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. I wanted to start out this morning by showing you the picture, a picture of a hallway. And the significant thing about this hallway is that I know for an absolute fact that I have walked down the length of this hallway at least two separate times and yet I don't remember a single thing about it. And the reason I don't remember anything is not because it was so long ago that I simply can't remember. The reason I don't remember is because I was so interested not in what was in the hallway but what was past the hallway. What I would get to once I was through the hallway. You see, this is a hallway in the Vatican Museum, a hallway that would eventually lead you to the Sistine Chapel with its famous ceiling painted by Renaissance artist Michelangelo. And I can tell you that I remember all kinds of things about standing in the Sistine Chapel. I remember the bright and vivid colors. I remember the damp and musty smell. I remember the fact that no one who was in the room that day including Lindsay, obeyed the rule that you weren't supposed to be taking pictures in the Sistine Chapel. I remember that one of the security officers standing there would occasionally raise his voice for the entire room to remember them, remind them of of that rule, but still no one would listen. I remember all kinds of things about the Sistine Chapel, but very sadly I don't remember anything about this hallway because I was so interested in getting through it, getting past it, and as a result I missed what was in it. And what was in this hallway, as you can see, were things like this. Tapestries. Beautiful. Detailed pictures of events in history and events in the life of Jesus woven into fabric in seemingly impossible detail. Beautiful pieces of fabric that the most skilled artists in all the world spent years making, and I walked right by all of it. Part of the reason I show you that picture today is because as we turn our attention to these verses from Ephesians chapter 1, there is a picture that God very much wants us to see. It's a picture of you. It's a picture that shows you who you really are and what you are really like. But I need to warn you, just like the tapestries hanging in that hallway in the Vatican Museum, it is very easy for us to just rush right past this picture and to be interested in other pictures instead. Rather than being primarily focused on this picture of us that God gives us in these verses, we might be more interested in the picture that other people have of us. The opinion that is held of us by our friends, our family members, our co-workers. Or we might be more interested in the picture of ourselves that we can sort of fabricate. That we can put out there in that that flawless image that we try and portray. Those staged pictures, those fake poses and those filters that, that we use when we want people to see who we are. Maybe we'd be more interested in the picture that that's more the honest-to-goodness picture of ourselves that we find in our own heads and in our own hearts when no one else is around. The thoughts that are in our head when we look in the mirror. The things we tell ourselves when we lie down to sleep. It's very easy for us to be interested in those pictures, but friends, 
make no mistake, we need to stop and take a good look at the picture of us that God has in these verses. In fact, the world around us, I think, is realizing more and more just how much is missing when you don't have this picture of you. We're finding out, for example, on the one hand, what happens when a person has much too high of a picture of themselves. When a person is a complete egomaniac, when they think that they are so unique and so special that everyone else in their life kind of revolves around them and exists for their happiness, and if anyone would ever stand in the way of their happiness, then they need to be dealt with. I think we're finding out more and more on the other hand what can happen when someone has too low of a picture of themselves. When maybe that picture is so low that they even consider themselves to have no value, no worth, that even their very life is pointless. No, I think we're realizing more and more just how important it is for us not to rush past this picture of you that God has in these verses, but to stop and stare and soak it all in. Because when we do, we will find that God has woven a beautiful picture of you. That's actually the other reason I showed you a picture of that hallway, because much like the pictures that were hanging in that hallway in the Vatican Museum, the picture of you that God paints in these verses is structured sort of like a tapestry. If you don't know how a tapestry is put together, don't worry, neither did I before I looked it up and figured it out this week. So a tapestry is sort of put together like this. A tapestry is a woven piece of fabric that, first of all, has horizontal threads. Those are primarily the threads that you see, the many, many different colors that make up the very detailed specifics that you see in that picture, and those are known as wefts. But then a tapestry also has vertical pieces of thread. Those are the threads that you don't so much see. They're kind of hiding behind the scenes, but they provide a very important structure and support for the tapestry. Those are known as warps. Take a good look. There's going to be a quiz next Sunday. As we look at these verses, we see that Paul structures them in a very similar way, that there are, first of all, what we might call sort of the, the horizontal points, that as we read through these verses, we see one after another, and there are three primary ones. First of all, God wants you to see in this beautiful picture of you that God has chosen you. Picture God sitting in his rocking chair paging through a Christmas catalog and page after page goes by and all of a sudden when he sees the image of you, he, he points to it with a smile on his face and says, that one right there, that's one that I want and he circles it. Maybe in today's terms we, we'd say picture God scrolling through a page on Amazon.com, and when he sees the one that he wants, he clicks, add to cart, quantity one. God chooses you. Now, it's pretty nice to be chosen for something, right? We all know what it's like to be chosen, to be chosen for a job, to be chosen as a date to the dance, to be chosen as a member of the team. That's pretty nice. But of course, we all know that you can get fired from a job. You can get dumped as a date, you can get benched on a team. And so notice what Paul says, that God chooses us for something more. He chooses us to be family. He chooses us to be adopted as his children. Now, if all of a sudden a parent decides 
that he doesn't want one of his children and decides to neglect or even abandon that child, that, that parent's going to have big, big problems, right? God doesn't choose us for something fickle or temporary. God chooses us for something permanent. He chooses us to be family. That's thread number one. Thread number two. Once God has made that choice, once he has added us to his cart, so to speak, it's time to check out. There's a price that needs to be paid. You maybe even know that, that even here on earth, adoptions aren't cheap. Adoptions are very, very expensive. They can cost up to $30,000. Well, when God chose you to be adopted into his family, it cost even more than that. It cost Jesus his blood. The price that God paid to adopt you into his family was the blood of Jesus. Jesus gave up his own life so that that adoption could be complete. And then, and then from that point forward, Jesus has now been ruling and reigning over all things and ordering all things around the thing that he has purchased, in other words, around you. Right now in your house, you might think that you have a pretty nice picture or painting hanging over the mantle above your fireplace. Maybe you even spent a lot of money on it. And yet I'm guessing that if you went out and forked out enough money to buy say the Mona Lisa, when you brought that painting home, you would do a little bit of rearranging, right? You would find a spot for that painting. In fact, everything else would revolve around where that painting is going to be your prized possession. Well, once God chose us to be adopted into his family, once Jesus paid the price for that adoption to be complete, then Jesus began ordering and ruling all things to serve in the interest of what he had purchased, namely you. That includes everything that happens in our world. In fact, Paul says everything in heaven and on earth. That includes the things that get lots of attention in our world. Prince Harry gets hitched. LeBron James signs with the Lakers. President Trump meets with Vladimir Putin. It also includes the things that probably don't get a lot of attention, but cause you pain and struggle and difficulty during your life. God uses all of them. Jesus rules over all of them. He, he reorders and rearranges all of them in the interest of the thing that he has purchased again, namely you. That's thread number two. And then finally, once God has chosen you to be adopted in his family, once Jesus has, has paid that price and has been rearranging all things for your good, God wants to make sure that he will never, ever lose you. And so thread number three is that he sets his seal on you. He marks you as his own. When you hear the gospel, when you were baptized, when you were brought into the Christian faith, God sent his Holy Spirit into your heart as that seal to mark you off as his possession, a down payment guaranteeing that nothing, nothing will ever be able to take you from him, even death itself. Now, I don't know about you, but when I... I look at that picture, there's kind of only one conclusion I can come to about you. If God is willing to do all of these things for you, you must be pretty special. You must be amazing. I don't know about you, but if I were you, I would have a pretty high opinion of myself. Well, remember, again, this, these verses are structured kind of like a tapestry. Yes, we've got those horizontal wefts that we see that, that kind of trace the progression of thought. But then we've 
also got the vertical warps, those threads that kind of just run through the course of the whole thing, and again, there are three of them. A phrase that Paul keeps using over and over again is he tells us that God does all of this simply out of his good pleasure and will. In other words, God is not doing this reluctantly or, or begrudgingly. He's not upset about the fact that he has to do this. This makes him giddy. This makes him excited and overjoyed at the thought of doing all of this for you. But, but note very carefully, there is nothing external that is compelling God to do it. There is nothing about us that is prompting him to want to. He's, he does all of this simply out of his grace, simply because he decides to, simply because he wants to. Another phrase that occurs over and over again in these verses is the phrase, in Christ. In other words, you take Christ out of the picture, and the whole picture, the whole tapestry just falls apart. Picture God paging through that catalog or scrolling down that page on Amazon.com, and it's as if God is looking through glasses. Those glasses are Jesus. The perfect and complete work that Jesus did for us. If God takes those glasses off, he doesn't like what he sees. He reads through the product description of the item and he, and he clearly sees all kinds of flaws and failures. He reads through the reviews and he sees that all kinds of other people who have experience with this product aren't happy with it. But then he puts those glasses back on. He looks at us through the lens of what Jesus has done for us and he is perfectly happy and pleased to choose us to adopt us, to arrange all things for our good, to set the seal of his Holy Spirit in his heart. All of this happens in Christ. And then finally, over and over and over again, Paul says that all of this happens for the praise of his glory. In other words, this picture of you doesn't really tell you a whole lot about you as much as it tells you a whole lot about your God. It tells you what makes him who he is, what makes him unique. And as you read through it, the last thing you can possibly do is claim any sort of credit or praise for yourself. The only thing that you can possibly do is push all of the praise, all of the credit, all of the glory toward God. Or you may be starting to see what makes this such a beautiful picture of you. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the beauty that is found in this picture of you, you cannot find anywhere else. You cannot find it in the picture that other people have of you, the opinions of your friends, your family, your co-workers, you won't find it there. You can't find it in the picture that you might try and fabricate and put out there for all the world to see, no matter how polished the poses and the pictures look. No matter how many self-affirmations you might give yourself, you're, you're not going to find it there either. You're not going to find it in the picture that you actually hold to be your true self in your head. As you think about who you are, as you look in the mirror, you're, you're not going to find it there either. This is a picture whose beauty is absolutely unrivaled. On the one hand, as we look at this picture, it is impossible for us to have too low of a picture of ourselves, to in any way think that, that somehow our lives have, don't have worth, don't have value, don't have a point. Look at everything that our God is willing to do for us. On the other hand, as we look at this picture, it is impossible to have too high of a picture of ourselves, to be an egomaniac when we look at why he does it. 
only by His grace, only in Christ Jesus. And it's not even that between those two extremes, this picture gives us something in the middle. Well, I know I'm not that great, but I, I know I'm also not that bad. I guess I'm just an average Joe. No, really, this picture gives us the best of both worlds laid on top of each other. A confidence and a security that nothing else can offer and a humility and a gratefulness that nothing else can offer when we remember why God has done what he has done. It gives us a picture of ourselves that no compliment from anyone else can possibly supply and no criticism from anyone else can possibly take away. It gives us warp and weft laid on top of each other, woven together to form an, a picture that is impossibly beautiful. So friends, do yourselves a favor. Don't just go rushing past it. In fact, come back to it again and again and again. Stop and stare at the picture that God paints for you in his word because this kind of beauty cannot be found anywhere else. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.